0: For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And then the second reading is from the first letter of John, chapter one, verse five, reading through to chapter two, verse 14. And this is on page 1021 in the Church Bibles. 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness, but whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one.
1: Well, please do keep that passage open in front of you and let me say hello. My name is Roger, I'm one of the ministers here and it's really good to have you with us this Sunday evening. Let me pray for God's help as we gather around his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would shine the light and the life of your Holy Spirit into our hearts as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The question I want to begin with tonight is this one. If you were going to pick one word to describe God with... What would it be? Apparently, the Oxford English Dictionary has 600,000 English words. Um, only about a third of them are still in current use, so we can narrow that down a bit. But if you're going to pick one of those, 171,000 current words in use, what word would you choose for God? God is, I guess, Love it be on lots of our minds, especially given what we heard earlier from 1 John. Uh, God is love. Isn't that right? I mean, doesn't it kind of all come down to that? Isn't it in the Bible somewhere? Yes, this letter, 1 John, chapter 4, the verse before the verse J read, says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's a good summary of God's character. God is love. And we'll get to that one in a few weeks' time. It's true that in eternity past, God has always been love, perfect love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect other-centered, other-person-centered love, God is love. But actually, strikingly, love is not the first word John wants us to have in our minds as he summarizes the Christian message. He actually thinks there's something more urgent to say than chapter four's God is love. Something that's urgent for us, whether we're Christians or uh, just looking in on what Christians believe tonight. It's there in the first sentence of our reading, so page 1021, if you've closed your Bibles, uh, verse 5. And here the Apostle John, he's an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, one of his closest followers. He sums up the Christian message in 11 words. I wonder if it's the 11 words we would have picked. This is the message we've heard from him, that's Jesus, and proclaim to you that... God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's the big word for today light. Last week, we, our big word was life. We saw that last week that the creator of all life, eternal life himself, came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, became knowable, watchable, touchable. Life was what we thought about last week. Tonight, it's light. If you want to know the real God of the universe, the actual creator of life that we see around us, you need to realize he is light. What does John mean by light? Well, from how he carries on in this passage, it's very clear that John is using light here in the sense of moral purity, blazing perfection, utterly bright moral purity. That's what God's like. There's no darkness in him whatsoever. It's not a, even a hint, a speck of untruth, no lies, no injustice, no unrighteous thought, desire, deed. He's got no good side, no bad side. He, he's got no mood swings. There's no kind of yin and yang to him, no off days, no compromise, just utter, blazing, white-hot, pin-sharp perfection of light. Light ultra-high-definition purity. That's actually a wonderful thing. It's wonderful that the most powerful being is also the the most good being, an unchanging God we can trust. It's a wonderful thing, but it's also a challenging thing. Because the nature of light is to illuminate what is dark. It shows it up. And God is light in that way as well. That's why we read that first passage from John, John's Gospel, John chapter 3. You see, when Jesus the Son broke into our moral darkness, our, our confusion, our supposed gray areas, as he broke in, he brought piercing light of absolute purity. Let me read some verses again from that John chapter 3 reading. This is the judgment. You don't need to turn there. <clears throat> the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. John says God is light. That's the message we heard in Jesus. Now that does, of course, pop the bubble on one of the ways that the phrase God is love gets used. It's often deployed, isn't it, in the sense of, well, I mean, God is love. He won't mind that much he lets us get away with it no john says the author of the phrase god is love says the god of love is the god of light in whom there's no darkness i don't know if you've ever spent time with someone who over time you discover has more moral integrity or perhaps more moral courage than you do you ever had that not in a fake kind of holier-than-thou judgmental kind of self-righteous religion kind of way just someone who's genuinely really godly someone who's not prepared to lie not even a light one someone who isn't prepared to moan and gossip about others even when everyone else starts behind their back who just won't break minor laws like others even if no one's watching who just pours themselves into serving people and praying even when no one's watching It's actually quite unnerving when you meet someone like that. Because it shows us up. Well, it shows me up. Suddenly you realize, oh, I've got blind spots. There are are areas of moral compromise I have that i had been happily hiding. Imagine meeting Jesus Christ in the flesh. Someone with no speck of selfishness or pride or malice whatsoever. Someone whose closest friends said... They never heard deceit in his mouth. If you want to know what the real God is like, yes, utterly loving, we'll get to that. But first off, light, blazing, white-hot moral purity. In him there is no darkness whatsoever. That's our first point, God is light. But it brings us to an important issue, and in lots of ways the big issue tonight and in lots of ways the big issue of this letter how can anyone come into fellowship or friendship with a God like that? How can anyone really know a God like that? And know him with with confidence, with joy, to be sure that they know him and things are okay. Because people, well, we don't live in the perfection of moral light and purity, do we? I mean, even the most optimistic assessment of human nature admits that we are not all good all the time. And that might be okay if God was a bit like us, if he was a bit of good, a bit of bad, a bit of willingness to compromise, if he was going to say, well, we're only human. Some cultures have made up gods like that. they were the Roman and Greek pantheons, kind of big versions of human beings. As some of the absolute values that are being constructed in secular Scotland, just like us, but really big. But God is not like us. In him there's no darkness at all. He's light. So it's not just it's just not possible to, to claim that the God of the Bible, because he's a God of love, is a God of anything goes. Actually he's the God of nothing goes. No darkness whatsoever. His love includes a love for truth, for justice, for his son Jesus. That's why if you were at church this morning, it was a sobering time this morning, we, we heard the Lord Jesus warning about coming judgments. Sobering, but actually not surprising if you know that God is light. He's not just going to sit back and put up with creatures mistreating him and each other indefinitely. At which point, we might be starting to feel nervous. Even actually, if we're Christians, we might be feeling nervous. Let's have a look at verse 6. I wonder if we come to this verse with some degree of apprehension, knowing that there is darkness in our hearts and thoughts and words, even last week. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. Perhaps for Christians here who are deeply conscious of our sin, that might be the majority of people in the room, to be honest. Perhaps they're thinking, well, so much for this being a book that gives us joy and confidence. By the standard of verse six, I'm I'm questioning whether I really know God, because last week was not a week of unadulterated light how can I really be a friend of God given how I've behaved? If that's you, you're not alone. Over the last fortnight, I've spoken with three different mature Christians in tears at their sin. Ongoing battles as well as past ones. Does this verse, verse 6, mean they can't be sure whether they know God? let's get into point two which will answer that you see in this passage having told us that god is light john is going to give us two big signs that we're walking in the light what does it mean to to know this god to walk in the light and last week we had one big sign of how you know god it's whether you're sticking with the eyewitness testimony of jesus that's how you check out if a church is really connected to god what do they do with the bible what do they do with the actual testimony about jesus Today we're going to get two more signs to clarify who is in the light. How can we be sure we know God? And here's the first one tonight. Our point two, the sign we're walking in the light is that we'll be confessing sin at the cross, not denying it. That's the first sign here. Walking in the light will mean confessing sin at the cross, not denying it. Now I warn you, we're going to spend most of our time in this point Um, So don't worry if it takes a bit of uh, time. It's also going to take a little bit of concentration. So if if, um, you choose when you zone out, don't zone out now, because I'm about to do the hardest bit, okay? Because John, despite all the reputation that he just goes around in circles and it's all kind of thematic, actually John is carefully structured, and this is one of the most carefully structured bits. Um, So just concentrate for a moment, because between chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 2, verse 2, John is contrasting false claims with the true reality of knowing God. I've laid it out on the handout to try and help. There's so many words on there, it may not help, but I've tried to kind of show the structure. Basically, there are three examples of this false claim to know God being contrasted with the true reality of walking in the light. So let's look at the false claims. Um, They're they're in a set of three, and each of them starts, if we say. So just have a look, verse six, if we say, dot, dot, dot. Then verse 8, if we say, and then verse 10, if we say. Three examples of this false claim to know God. The first of those three is like a general headline, and then the next two, unpack it. That general headline is the one that got us anxious Christians worrying. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Actually, Paul's not writing it to make... Genuine Christians worry. That's not actually his point, because look at how verse 8 unpacks what it means to walk in the darkness. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, walking in the darkness is about denying sin whether former sin or ongoing sin. It's about pretending we're not sinners and don't need the cross. It's denying sin as a serious and ongoing problem. That's actually what John is saying walking in the darkness means here. And that should be a real encouragement to us as Christians. Because actually, in a genuine church, people really do know they're sinners in need of forgiveness. So why we're often praying together, forgive us, Father. And actually, the experience of getting to know the God of light over the years, over the decades, is to discover there's much more sin and darkness in my heart uh, and my thoughts and my words and my living, much more than I would care to admit, much more than anyone else can see, even more than I could see a year or two ago. We're so used to living in the gray of a, a kind of morally compromised world. We're so used to looking sideways and, and, and thinking, well, I'm not that bad. Like, compared to the average, I'm, I'm around there, maybe slightly above. But if you get to know the blazing light of Jesus Christ, showing us what true humanity looks like, what divine light looks like, well, over the years, it becomes more and more clear about the remaining sin in our lives and how dark it actually is, how serious it is, how out of place it is in a relationship with the God of light. See, taking sin seriously is what walking in the light means in this passage. We'll get on to more of the the positive reality in a moment and what it looks like to deal with sin in a gospel way. But who is, just while we're on these false claims, um, who is John speaking to here? Well, remember last week we said that there is a group that have departed from this church. We'll meet them uh, next week. Um, They've departed from the church and from the apostles' teaching. They've drifted on to a different message. We don't know exactly what they're saying, but it does seem likely they were denying that they had an ongoing sin problem or possibly denying the seriousness of sin, that the cross is required to pay for it. They were underplaying sin and the cross. And that is very, very common across false teachers and false gospels in church history since, including in the West at the moment. Downplaying sin. So for example, saying what the Bible calls sin is not sin and can be blessed. Or denying that the cross is anything more than just a loving example of service and love. Or not being prepared to say that sin cuts people off from the God of light without trusting in Jesus' death as a substitute for us. John says, to claim to know the God of light while suggesting sin's not serious, or we don't need a cross, that is to walk in the dark. That is a false claim. Just as a side note, so here's, here's some guidance from, uh, from John. If you're someone looking around for a church at the moment or listening in, um, I think between pandemic disruption maybe um, and maybe what's going on with denominations, it does seem there seems to be a number kind of in that situation And as I've said before, a number of us will end up in different places over the course of our lives and need to choose a church. What are John's signs of a healthy church? Well, last week, one that sticks with the apostles, the eyewitness testimony to Jesus, sticks with the Bible. And then here's the next sign, a church that takes sin and the cross seriously. Is Jesus' sin-bearing cross right at the center or is it drifting off to the edge Or has it dropped off the map? John's descriptions of this approach to sin are actually pretty sobering. He says it's an act of deception. Uh, Verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Rather than being drawn into this fellowship and friendship with God, light, love. Instead, this leads to being trapped in a web of lies, deceiving ourselves. I'm not a sinner. Calling God a liar. It is to be in the dark. So that's walking in the darkness. What about the true reality? What, What does it mean to walk in the light in this passage? Well, wonderfully, it just means being honest. Honest about what a mess we are. Even still, as Christians. Just look at it, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. There's the cross. Again, that's the general heading. We'll get into more specifics in a moment. Uh, it, It shows that the people in the light have sinned as well, but are cleansed people. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The mark of whether you're in the light or in the dark is not how serious the sin is, but whether it is all cleansed at the cross. Of course, we would need a solution that cleanses all sin, because God is light, and in him there's no darkness whatsoever. It's one of the problems with, you know that popular idea, um, both kind of inside and outside religious uh, groups, that popular idea that you can kind of balance things out with God, that good deeds can outweigh bad ones, in the end God will weigh it up and hopefully we'll be okay. There's lots of problems with that not least to get the scales to tip in our favor. (laughs) You have to kind of massively uh, kind of overestimate how good our good deeds are and massively underestimate how how bad our bad deeds are and just not mention the emissions, which would be all over the scales. Actually, the biggest problem with the scales image is that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Sin can have no place in his presence. which point there really is no point looking for a religious system to accrue some credits to kind of balance things out whether it's the five pillars of islam or the regularity of attending mass or or even giving generously to the poor and needy we need a total sin solution something that pays for everything and so verse 7 the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin john unpacks what that looks like on the ground in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the positive alternative. So rather than walking in the dark denying we sin, the positive alternative is not to never sin, it's to confess sin until Jesus returns. Honest, humble confession to God of the sins that his blazing light is showing up in our hearts and lives and minds. I hope you can hear the encouragement for those three tearful believers I mentioned. Despairing at their own sinfulness, past and present. John says, to live in the light of knowing God is not to pretend that we don't have sin, but to confess we do, and to trust in the cross to pay for it. And there is just the most amazing promise, confidence that verse 9 gives us, because just look in verse 9 at the aspects of God's character we appeal to when asking for forgiveness. If we confess our sins, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Faithful, that is, he keeps his promises. Of course he does, he's the God of light. And he's promised that if we call on the name of the Lord Jesus, we'll be saved. Faithful and just, that is, his eternal justice, will recognize the price was paid on the cross. Can't be paid again. It's really amazing, actually, that. So because of the cross, for a Christian being let off the hook, as it were, doesn't doesn't depend on kind of appealing to to God turning a blind eye or bending the rules or compromising his own standards. We're not looking for some kind of dark side or, or gray area in God's justice. No, we're appealing to his very goodness. You promised that those who trust in Jesus are washed entirely clean. This was paid for. And because God is light, we can be sure. Now, of course, this is not saying that Christians can just sin, kind of sin away regardless and just say sorry afterwards. That's clearly not the point. I think that's why John chapter 2, verse 1 says that's not the point. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Walking in the light doesn't doesn't mean just relax about it. You can say sorry afterwards. But to be honest, anyone who's in the light, who knows the God of light, who has the Holy Spirit in their heart, which is any Christian, already knows deep down that the point of the gospel is not, let's see how much sin and darkness we can squeeze in before Jesus comes back. No, the whole point is that we can put to death deeds of darkness, the gossip, the lust, the lies, the pride. But even here, as he tells us the point is not to sin, verse two, and verse, uh, end of verse 1 and verse 2. Again, third time, John reassures us. Walking in the light means being honest about our sin. Verse, end of verse 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is to say, what what, the, the, the cross that Christians need is actually the cross that anyone needs. Christians can have confidence before the Father because of Jesus. Jesus, our advocate, Jesus, our atonement. Let me just unpack those words briefly, advocate. It's a slightly strange verse, verse one, the end of verse one. Um, I don't know about you, when, when I go to see my dad, I don't normally have my lawyer present. Striking, isn't it? John says we can approach the Father with Christ as our advocate. Why is that? Well, because our Father is light, blazing purity. We need a counsel for the defense in his presence. What case is Jesus making before the Father? Well, nothing about our goodness or our. we'll try harder next time or whatever. No, what Jesus is saying is I paid for that I paid for that I paid for her I paid for him that's why I went to the cross for that which is why verse 3 speaks of Jesus as this propitiation for our sins a propitiation is a sacrifice that turns away anger the cross is the God the Father and God the Son agreeing That God the Son would drink the cup of righteous wrath, God's righteous wrath at our sin, rather than us. Turning aside the wrath of God on himself, not us. Absorbing the righteous indignation. Seeing that justice was done even as we are set free. It's absolutely extraordinary. It's the wonder at the heart of the gospel. Jesus didn't just take on flesh last week so that we could touch him and know he's real. He took on flesh so he could bleed. He could die on the cross for us. That's why he took on a human nature. That's our second point. And the the big kind of first sign in this passage of what it looks like to walk in the light. It looks like confessing sin and depending on the cross rather than denying sin and denying the need for the cross. Or to put it another way, the mark of A real Christian, if you meet one, or a real church, if you visit one, a group that is connected to the living God will admit their sin is serious and only the cross can solve it. I hope that is an encouragement to hear tonight if you are finding yourself racked with guilt or shame or anxiety at sin. God says, confess it to me, And trust me when I say it's forgiven. Sometimes we need others to encourage us of that and pray with us, so please take that opportunity tonight, afterwards, if you want to. For the last few minutes, though, before we finish, there is one other sign of walking in the light in this passage. We're going to look at it much more briefly. It's going to come up a lot in the rest of the letter, so we'll hear more about it in more detail I've called this, second sign, obediently loving Christians, not hating them. I realize that sounds a bit stark, but that is, that is um, John's language. Let me just start with saying why I'm saying obediently loving, because um, this starts off in chapter two, verse three, talking about commandments. John, in his gospel, has two really, really big commandments. One is the commandment to believe in Jesus and his death. The other big commandment is to love other Christians the way he's loved us. And it's that second commandment, I think, that John has in view here. Let me just read through from verse 3 and and listen to how he kind of zooms in from the general to this very specific example. So verse 3, By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. There's a false claim again. But verse 5, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we're in him. So far so clear, hopefully, obedience to God's commandments is another sign that we truly know him. That's also a bit confusing because we've just heard that we don't always keep God's commandments, that we are sinners needing to trust in the cross, even now needing to trust in Christ's ongoing advocacy for us. So, what commandments is john speaking about here well let's keep reading on verse six whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked okay so this keeping commandments involves walking like jesus following his example in what area well verse 7 the old new old commandment To love Christian brothers and sisters the way that Jesus loved us. This is John 13 in John's Gospel. He's just reminding us of it. In John 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet and said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another." In one sense, that was an old commandment. God's people have always been people of love. But it was a new commandment with Jesus because it was a new standard of love. Love each other the way I have. Foot washing love. Lay down your life kind of love. That's God's commandment. And John is saying when you're doing that, it's not just that other people might notice that you follow Jesus. Actually, we will know as well. It is a sign to us. At which point, the nervous amongst us may be shifting in our seats again, thinking, oh, well, who can honestly say I love other people at church the way that Jesus does, in that kind of selfless, generous, humble, sacrificial kind of way? But again, the point of this sign is not to say if you, like, if you manage, say, above 98% on the perfect love scale, then you can be sure you really know God. God. No, john's putting before us a straight either or when it comes to christians god's people god's family do you love them or do you hate them that's the choice verse nine whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes is neither all. Which is it? Is it love or hate? Hate might sound a bit strong. But actually, people who wander from the real gospel, from the testimony of the apostles, the message of sin and the cross, sometimes really do rage at believers who still believe that, ridicule them, seek to silence them, badmouth them, sue them. Remember, in this church, a group has actually left. They couldn't stand to be around that church family that stuck with the apostles' teaching. And on the positive side, it is a sign of real Christians, a real church where there's genuine love across different backgrounds. Of course, we don't find that easy. Much of the time, the New Testament is reminding us we're supposed to love each other, motivating us, helping us to bear with each other, to forgive one another, to maintain unity. Uh, Because we're all sinners still in progress, it's not always easy to love each other. But though it takes work and it's not perfect, nevertheless, a church that genuinely knows God will show genuine love to one another. And actually, when you think what we've just seen in in the second point, I mean, how could we not really? Really? So much human conflict comes from a sense of pride and superiority on the one hand, or envy and insecurity on the other. But coming to the light should bring us all to our knees in humility, as we all admit we've got the same problem, sin, before a holy God of light. And we've all got one hope to cling to, which is the gracious cross of Christ as he laid down his life for his enemies. And having seen that, how could we not love each other? And by the power of God's Spirit, this actually does happen in a, in a Christian church. It's amazing. People from a variety of backgrounds, ages, stages, tastes, cultures are brought together, humbled at the cross, loving each other as sisters and brothers. Not always perfectly. There are bumps along the way. We have to say sorry to each other, put things right. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light. We'll see much more of that as we go through 1 John. And so if that feels like just a taster on love for one another, we will will see more. Our time is gone. Let me sum up. Last week, John told us that God is life. And that life is knowable in Jesus Christ. So stick to the words of the eyewitnesses who saw him. This week, God has told us, sorry, John has told us, and God, through John, has told us God is light. And so if you want to know which group claiming to know God really does, well, do they admit they're sinners compared to God's light, and so in need of the cross to pay for everything? And does that humbling at the cross lead to a life of love in the church family? And just in case his readers were wobbling at that point, he ends the passage, verse 12, with a real encouragement. Let me close with those words. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Our oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you that you are light, and in you there is no darkness whatsoever. We pray we would be a people who don't deny our sin, but confess it and trust the cross of the Lord Jesus, that it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Please help us, too, to be a family who love one another, even when that's hard, Lord. Please help us to love each other the way you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.